Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mets fans, welcome to episode 214 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and uh, thank you for joining us this week. Special two podcast week this week. We did our UN assessment special just a couple minutes ago, minutes ago, a couple days ago. Forgive me, it's early. And uh, here we are with a second podcast, a little bit of a shorter one than usual, but that's okay. There's still lots of great stuff. First up, we have Chris McShane and myself talking about the new collective bargaining agreement and a few other things. Uh, warning, we had some uh, technical difficulties while recording this, so it kind of starts abruptly. So let me let me ask Chris a fake question here that'll make the, uh, the transition a little bit easier. So Chris, what would you say is the biggest change of the CBA? So the qualifying offers now are uh, a lot more complex. You know, there's factors involved with how much a team has in payroll already what it pays the new guy uh you know it's not that system that goes back to you know even the previous cba from the one that we had been used to where you had type a and b free agents um isn't 50 million the the sort of financial cutoff point right now 
with yeah, the new right. CBA. So to, for for the guy who leaves, he has to be signed for fifty million or more to kick in, you know, the the compensation system, and then what a team gains and what a team gives up is also dependent on its you know its salary as a team uh i think market size might come into play yeah the top 15 markets have a different set of rules in the bottom 15 markets it's really bizarre yeah so it's you know i think it's a thing that's going to take um an actual off season with that fully in place because none of this stuff goes into effect until after 2017 so i think it'll take that for everybody to really get into the you know the habit of all right, what does this mean? You know, making next year's draft order uh, hypothetically is going to be a lot harder now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's. I don't even think there's a point in trying to do it. You know, I. You would hope. You know, not everybody is into all this stuff, but you would hope that they're, given the significant portion of fans who do follow this closely, uh, you'd hope that Major League Baseball kind of keeps the draft order for the next year up to date. And I think that's something that they would probably do because they've, you know, they've televised the more significant parts of the draft. Uh, they've certainly hyped it up more. It, you know, I think they they still realize that it's not the NFL draft in terms of spectacle right, and right. audience, but it's something that they've tried to get people into. Um, and it, I think it makes sense that they've done that. But because of that, I'm confident that they will, you know, try to keep everybody informed. Yeah. Um, the other big the, change, I guess, would be the DL, right? The 15-day yeah, well, DL goes goes goodbye. Right. Well, yeah, that – and the only other thing on the queue is that a player can't get more than one in his oh, career. Oh, yes. Sorry, so I that, forgot that. that. Yeah, no, no. That's the, um, So that point, I think, is important. Neil Walker is the obvious person that affects because he just got one. He took it. And that's it. You know, he can't get one at the end of this year. Uh, Curtis now, Granderson going well, and there's no right. Yeah, he had already turned one down. So that it, it changes the way that the Mets approach the 2017 offseason. Certainly. Yeah. Um, like I was saying before, the 15 day DL has been replaced by the 10 day DL, which is is both a blessing and a curse. It's going to make hopefully managers and organizations like the Mets who would tend to play shorthanded, rethink that a little bit. Ten games is nowhere near as... It, it feels so much less significant than 15 does, and uh, especially for a starting pitcher, you know, it, that could essentially be one start if things were jiggered properly. So that's going to change the uh, the sort of mindset about the DL a little bit. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about from the CBA? Uh, I mean, I'm glad the All-Star game doesn't you know, mean something right <laughs> anymore uh, that I'm good to, uh, I'm good with that going. Um, you know, we, there, you can get into a whole long discussion about what the international draft pool cap does. You know, they, they didn't go to a draft for international players, uh, but they raised the age of players who are considered part of the international draft pool. Uh, and set a hard cap on that. So, you know, it, it, it's certainly going to affect players coming from other countries, uh, either in their ability to earn money or in the case of players who, just as an example, play in Japan, who, you know, the financial incentive to come over until they hit 
the new age of 25 instead of 23, uh, they, they'd probably be, you know, giving up money to come here. Yeah. So, you know, that, that stuff is all interesting. I think, you know, and it's funny, there's very few times that fantasy baseball, uh, and the way that you think about that comes into play when you're thinking of real life baseball, (laughs) but you know, sometimes, uh, as a fantasy commissioner, you want to try to do things that encourage more trades to happen. And I don't know if that was really the motivation of the owners here, um, or the, or the players association, but you know, because of the way the economics of this all break down, fewer players being eligible and compensation being less with qualifying offers, I think, will encourage more trades. Um, and, you know, I mean, people, it, it's exciting when trades happen. So I think you'll see a lot more guys that'll, you know, maybe move at the end of July or the end of August if a team says, hey, you know, we can't get anything for him. Right. Uh, you know, he's he's probably not going to fall into that realm of player. Uh, certainly, if you let a guy go, there's no guarantee that anybody else is going to pay him enough for you to get something back. So, you know, I think it I, – I hope it ends up turning into, like, the, the Andrew Miller rule. And I think we might have said this back when he was still pitching and, and the playoffs were still going on. Uh, but it would be fun if there was a rule, I think, that Andrew Miller had to be on a playoff team every year. <laughs> uh, now, obviously, his contract is a little bit different than that and, and everything. But say he was uh, you know, in the last year of a contract and Cleveland implodes and they're nowhere near anything. Uh, you know, It's a lot more fun to think, oh, you know, which contender is he going to get traded to so Cleveland can get something? As opposed to, you know, oh, is he going to take the qualifying offer? Like that, I think from a fan perspective, that's a lot more exciting. Yeah. I was thinking about this this afternoon about how if this CBA was in place two seasons ago, there's no way that Michael Kadir would have had a qualifying offer. Uh, or it would, it would, that would have mattered right. because he would have never made $50 million, you know. So the Rockies would have held on to him and then for absolutely nothing. That's just a, that's a Met relevant, you know, uh, example. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I think the, the big picture is that whatever posturing was going on, there's no work stoppage or lockout or anything of the sort. So, you know, baseball keeps humming along and uh, that's good for everybody. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about this a lot on the podcast, but we're coming to the very end of the AAOPs, the Amazing Avenue Offseason Plan Contest. And uh, when this drops on Friday morning, you have until, what, 5 p.m., is it, Chris, to vote? Yeah. Yep. So if you're listening right away, get over to AmazingAvenue.com and vote right away. If you uh, have already passed that deadline, well, sorry, um, but we're going to talk about our AAOPs. Uh, Chris, I think we're in a really interesting predicament here. Your AOP pretty much already came true <laughs> uh, in in many regards, whereas I gave myself a no Neil Walker, no Joanna Cespedes rule. So okay. while yours is coming true, mine is totally broken. Um, okay. So so, so we, 
so why don't we do yours first, since you uh, yours is pretty straightforward. Okay, so I am. Uh, I'll, I'll just run it down in terms of acquisitions uh, and any moves of existing players. So, um, tendering contracts to Travis Darno, Lucas Duda, uh, Rene Rivera. They're all sticking around at the projected salaries from MLB trade rumors, as dictated by the rules of the uh, the contest. Um, so that that takes care of those guys. Uh, I actually would throw Josh, Josh Edgen into the non-tender bin. Nothing personal. Um, <laughs> just don't have a lot of faith in him. He's not set to make a lot of money. It's something that could come back and bite me uh, later. But, you know, whatever. Probably won't. I, yeah, I clearly... Uh, so... That's a thing. Um, Addison Reed is one of the guys who would be on that list, but in my AAOP, he is getting uh, $8 million, which is less than he would get in arbitration for 2017, but going eight eight nine nine on a four-year extension. So that, maybe I'm underselling it a little bit. I know, you know he can make more than 25% of that if he just does nothing. Uh, but he's 27 years old, so that's young enough, I think, from the team perspective to you know, buy in, and he's not going to be old when that runs out. And I think from his perspective, that's still quite a bit more guaranteed money overall. You know, um, So in, I think that's within the realm of you know, possibility that the track record isn't as long as, say, Chapman or Jansen, who are projected by everybody to make a whole lot more than that. Uh, but, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with that for him. So he sticks around on that. Uh, I should say Familia is tendered uh, because, you know, technically he, you know, he was getting arbitration this winter as well. Um Jerry Blevins comes back seven and a half in 2017, nine and a half in 2018. Maybe that's, uh, maybe again, you know, I might be underestimating by a little bit, but I think within the confines of the $140 million salary budget that we set for this, uh, you know, that that's not compared to what he's made before. That doesn't seem exorbitant. The lefties that are out there on the relief market are like, terrible (laughs) um you know so that it's a whole lot of like keeping things in place so in that regard this is all relatively uh bland but i I think i'm okay with it uh so that takes care of all those guys uh bringing kelly johnson back at two and a half million um just a one-year deal, pretty similar to what he got last winter. I think it's been a good fit when he's been in a Mets uniform. He's fared well. Uh, I can't imagine that anybody's going to blow him away with something significantly more than that, unless the Braves think they can, you Could know, lure the Mets him back. Another low-level pitching prospect in July, <laughs> bring him back home, and then and then trade him to the Mets again. Uh, you know, and I know, you know, I know he might seem a little redundant. But 
in the context of all this, I, I think it makes sense to have him around as a major league hitter. Uh, his platoon splits aren't as bad. You know, Terry Collins didn't necessarily deploy him that way, but they're not as bad as you might expect for a left-handed hitter. Um, so he's back. This is that just bringing everybody back is basically the name of this AOP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> QL to Neil Walker, which he accepts, which, hey, you know, I can support that with reality. Uh, Cespedes, uh, 4-1-10 had been kind of floated out there by John Heyman before it was signed. So that was the basis of what I was, you know, considering to bring him back. Um you know, it's easier, I guess, to uh, to say that now that it actually happened. But right. uh, I broke it down twenty a little more drastically than the Mets twenty twenty six and a half, and then thirty one point seven five in the last two years. And mostly, that's just sort of a not not so much to backload, only to get under one forty for our rules, but. Also, because David Wright's contract begins to go down in guaranteed money, and uh, you know after 2018, and Curtis Granderson's contract, uh, you know, comes off the books at the end of next season. Uh, Neil Walker, as we discussed in the you know a few minutes ago with the QO mm-hmm. and CBA situation, uh, you know, it's just those guys aren't making guaranteed money. So even with the deals that I hypothetically sign Reed and Blevins to and Cespedes. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of guaranteed money on the books. It's only $64 million on the books um, for 2018. Now, that doesn't include... Arbitration raises and all that. Yeah. Right, raises for guys who you will obviously keep. But that's when you talk about future salaries in baseball, That that's the standard. So... Um, so yeah, it's basically bringing back all of the familiar faces. Uh, Jay Bruce goes to Toronto, and you know this is. I am not Jeff. I do not know who the realistic return is from Toronto for <laughs> Jay Bruce. Uh, you know, I just looked quickly. I don't. I don't think Prospectus had their top ten for the uh, Blue Jays for next year out yet. But Baseball America did. Uh, there's a couple right-handed pitchers who were in the lower levels of the minors, who they had ranked ninth and 10th. I'll say Jay Bruce goes to them, Toronto for either one or both of, of those guys. Um, you know, Basically, that just clears the salary, replenish some lower-level pitching, um, You know, hope that those guys turn into something. Maybe that's setting the bar a little bit low, but it clears the salary of Bruce. It's something I'm sure could be done, you know, if you're not asking the world, if you're just asking a team to essentially take him and give up uh, a modest prospect return, I can live with that. So put it all together. Darno's my starting catcher. Rivera is his backup. Uh, Lucas Duda is back at first base. Walker's at second. Wright's at third. Uh, Estribal Cabrera's at short. Outfield Cespedes Granderson. Gets the larger side of the platoon in center. Conforto plays every day in right. Uh, and then where I think within the context of keeping everybody who we know, uh, since I have Kelly Johnson still on the team, uh, Ligaris is on the bench, and he's the, the team is only carrying four outfielders. 
you know, whatever experiments you want to do. Johnson occasionally plays a corner. Um, you know, th- there's been talk of Reyes hypothetically getting out in the outfield. Um, but Cespedes, Granderson, Conforto, Ligarist is what I'm putting on the opening day roster. If injuries come up, which inevitably they will for any team in any year, uh, you know, then you can dip in and, and bring Nimmo back, um, you know, take it from there. And I, I like Nimmo, but it's just sort of a, a little bit of a crunch uh, in the outfield in general. So that's the outfield bench. Reyes, Flores, Rene Rivera, who I mentioned already, Ligaris, and Johnson. Uh, rotation, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Matz. I threw Gazelman in the fifth slot because I know that they actually floated this recently, but Zach Wheeler hasn't pitched uh, in, a, in a major league game or any competitive game uh, in, in quite some time at this point. You know, spring training will be two years since the last time he was pitching in an exhibition baseball game. Uh, so I threw him in the bullpen at least to start the year. You know, that, that gives you a little more flexibility if he's, uh, you know, if he's not 100%, or even if he doesn't come back, it's a little easier to, I think, mentally to adjust and say, all right, we'll, we'll slide somebody up into the bullpen while Wheeler continues to try to come back. So Gazelman's the five. Bullpen, Familia Reed Blevins. I didn't make a Familia move. Um, you know, we're sort of blending timelines here, but if we assume that we're doing this when the season ends, Familia hasn't been arrested yet. Right. And, and so I, you know, and the contingency plan based on the budget is essentially just that everybody else moves up a slot and, you know, the bullpen would have to just kind of make up for his absence. Uh, so it's Familia, Reed Blevins, Wheeler out there in the bullpen, at least to start the year. And, you know, with that, I think it's kind of like a – it's almost like he's a rookie again where, you know, he goes out. If he can be healthy and, and pitch out of the bullpen and sort of work his way up, you know, maybe you get to June or something and it's been going well and you send him down to stretch out just for like a week or two weeks, you know, whatever, whatever kind of program you want to put him on in the minors, uh, get him – starting to build back up to, you know, three, four or five innings and then bring him back and, and have him start. So Wheeler and then the back of my bullpen, I, I might be, you know, exposed here, but I've committed quite a bit of money to uh, Cespedes and Walker. So Lugo, Robles and Smoker round out my bullpen. And that is my team. All right, I like it. It's, uh, it's like I said, it is as much bringing back everybody you can, except for uh, Bartolo. But within the realm of all this, I think if they can work something out long term with Reed, that would be really nice. And yeah. you know, obviously, Cespedes is crucial to this effort. Um, and Walker to me was absolutely worth the QO because, you know, as We've discussed the sort of rotating cast of second baseman who would play if he isn't there. Might be able to hack it, but I'm sticking to what I've said all along. He's my plan A. So that's fair. So, That's yeah, very fair. It's uh, 
all of this, some of this has happened in real life. Um, <laughs> you know, I joked early on that my AOP might be just science test, but just do nothing else. So I, uh, I think I tried to be slightly more creative than that, but Let's hear about yours. You're, you're the no walker, no cespedes. Go find a way to, you know. Yeah, this is the worst case scenario uh, right. plan here. So, all right. First thing I do, my most controversial move, I uh, sign Wilson Ramos okay. to a one-year, $8 million contract. Uh, this is totally rolling the dice. I, I think he could probably be had for about this amount of money on a one-year deal because he is so unknown right now. And uh, to me, him and Darno are, are are splitting the time about 50-50. And you're waiting for one of them to take off. And if one of them is clearly taking off, but the other one is healthy, the other one's a fine backup. If one of them is taking off, the other one's hurt, there is some depth in the system with Plowecki there. Uh, I'm not tendering Rene Rivera, but there's enough Rivera Rene Rivera's out there. Not name that, you know. There's enough players, sort of your your fringy uh, backup catcher. I don't think it'd be too hard to find somebody, even in spring training, if right. Ramos comes to spring training and he's just he's he's not able to play. Um, so that's what I would, I would sign Wilson Ramos as my first big move. Uh, I would re-sign Bartolo Colon, one year, eleven million dollar contract. I would assign R.A. Dickey to a one-year, $3 million contract. Uh, in this scenario, which you'll see in a little in a, in a little bit, I'm going to need one starting pitcher. And uh, I, I see Dickey as a guy out of the bullpen who can make the spot start when need be. And if someone's injured, Dickey would be the first man probably to take that spot. Uh, nice. I love R.A. Dickey. I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, always and forever. I love Ari Dickey. All right, so here's here's where the trades start to come in. Uh, I would trade um, Jay Bruce to Toronto as well. I would trade him for Jason Grilly, and I would send $3 million with him. Okay. Yeah, I thought about Grilly when I was looking at, you know, the Blue Jays. That, that's the other way to go with it, you know. Yeah. A, uh, a major league guy. And he's a free agent after this year, right? Right. Yeah. So this is this is very much a, a short term solution here, but uh, to me, you have to really fortify the back end of the bullpen, and you need more options than uh, Smoker and Edgin and Robles out there. I think you need to have a uh, just a, just a deeper a deeper reserve, and so Grilly is part of that for me. Um, now, this is the riskiest. Not the riskiest. This is this is the move that might might not be accepted. I don't know exactly what the trade value for this guy is yet, although his name has been floated a lot, especially recently. Uh, I would trade Brandon Nimmo, Stephen Matz, a low A pitcher of of the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates' choice, and uh, and a player to be named later for Andrew McCutcheon. All right. Um, th- does that return sound somewhat reasonable? I mean, based on. I think Matt certainly puts it into a, a realm of possibility, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the yeah, based on some of the things we've heard about the level of prospect they're looking for from the Nationals in in real life right now, um, you know that I think Matt's being a major league pitcher who, although hasn't been able to stay healthy for a hundred percent of the time, has pitched really really well. Uh, still young, has lots of team control left. You know, be, you know, doesn't have that much mileage on his arm. Maybe not for the right reasons, but right. 
but yeah, you know that that's I think that that seemed like the type you... of package, right? That could get and Nimmo, you know, lefty power plays well in uh, in Pittsburgh, and uh, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. So um, yeah, that's my uh, that's my trade. Uh, all right, I also ke- re-signed Kelly Johnson for one year, two and a half million. So we're off, we're on the same page there. And nice. then I re-signed Jerry Blevins to a two-year deal worth um, sixteen million seven this year, nine next year. And uh, that is pretty. M- oh, and sorry, and I signed Mark Melanson to a three-year, uh, thirty million dollar contract. Nice. Okay. So I have greatly changed the back end of the bullpen. Now you have Melanson, Reed, Grilly, and Familia, and Blevins to a certain degree. All of whom I I feel much more confident about than who the Mets currently have in the back end of their bullpen. Um, you know, I'm obviously I, I like Reed, I like Familia, but I, I think having a, a, a shutdown closer to pair with those guys, or even you know, Melanson maybe goes back to the eighth inning. I don't know. I don't know what his role would be, but just to have those arms in the bullpen would be uh, would be my preference. So let's go around the diamond here. So. Uh, Ramos and Darno are splitting time a catcher. You have Duda at first. You have Wilmer Flores starting at second base. Azubu Carrera at short. David Wright at third. With Jose Reyes being the primary backup infielder. Um, in the outfield, left to right, you have Granderson, McCutcheon, Conforto, with Lagaris giving everybody time off when need be, and uh, platooning with Granderson and. Uh, Yes, in there. And then on my bench, I have, as I said, Jose Reyes, Kelly Johnson, one of the two catchers, uh, Juan Lagaris, and um, I guess I need – I should probably have one more infielder, I guess. Oh, Kelly Johnson. I didn't, Okay, so there, yeah, that's my bench. And uh, starting rotation will be, uh, you know, Syndergaard, Harvey – Degrom. To start the year, it'll probably be uh, Cologne and Lugo. Although Wheeler can slide in there whenever he's ready. Hopefully, he's ready at the beginning of the year. But if not, I feel confident enough in Lugo or in Ari Dickey taking that taking that role. Yeah, yeah, that's my I team. Think, okay, yeah, no, no that that's uh, if you had to get creative and and not, you know. Have a non Cespedes version of the Mets. That outfield still sounds pretty damn good. Uh, what was I thinking? Something came to mind. Oh, when you mentioned Ligaris, uh-huh. I realized just in case, because I know everybody here is a, a you know completist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't include the fact that Ligaris is guaranteed money. So my sixty-four million dollar estimate was slightly lower. <laughs> <laughs> on my 2018 guaranteed money. So if you were thinking of emailing, I hope you didn't stop listening between when I said that yeah. and now. It's, cl- it's more like 71. So, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's funny. I don't think the Ligar's breakout is ever coming with the bat. You know, I don't I don't think he has to drastically improving as right-handed pitchers for that to even come close. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Nothing's impossible. Justin Turner is referred to as an established star hitter. Yes, I love that tweet, by the way. 
<laughs> I mean, it's like I'm not denying that he's been good. It's just you, you know, like Daniel Murphy having a an MVP caliber, even though he didn't win the award. You know, an MVP caliber season, uh, I think, was less far fetched than Justin Turner being one of the ten best hitters in either baseball or the National League. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, at least Murphy was, oh, you're pretty good, pretty good. Like, oh, wow, he had a great year. Like, where'd that come from? But I feel like Murphy had enough great stretches that you could dream on a whole season. Right. Yeah, just an everything goes right Murph year. Yeah. And really, when you think about it, like, is there a more Murph thing to do than, <laughs> you know, go from the most consistent I think, you know, and I'm just going off memory, not looking at, at any of his uh, pages, but, you know, he put up OPSs that were almost identical in some seasons. Uh, you know, just the, the ultimate model, model of consistency and consistent Murph moments, uh, you know, so it, it's sort of the just contrarian, you know, go out and have that kind of season. But, but yeah, neither of us brought Justin Turner back. No, although I, I did actually think about it, but I thought I couldn't troll myself that hard. Yeah, well, it you know it's it's going to be interesting to see what kind of contract he gets, and when you look at this Mets team on paper, even in real life, as currently constituted, you know, if money were no object, uh, to the point of not even caring about the luxury tax, you know, I know that they said some things about him when he left. <laughs> uh, of course, they did. A major contract, though. You know, I think that makes a lot of feelings feel better. Absolutely. So, you know, if the Mets were inclined to give him the most money, uh, you know, I'm sure he might have some personal uh, grudge against some people, whoever, you know, whoever it was that said things about him when he left. Uh, I don't recall whether that was you know, anonymous person with the Mets or, or something that was said on the record. I don't remember. But I'm sure he's got plenty of connections with people that he still considers friends and all that. And, you know, money money speaks. So, <laughs> so you know, it's a, it's a scenario that I absolutely don't expect to happen. But when you look at the roster, you know, multiple players in the infield coming off back injuries of varying, all of which required surgery of varying degrees. Uh, you know, I think Turner would be a really good fit. Uh, but even in the world where we control the entire roster, I just, I, I don't know. It, it, you know, it might be foolish, but I just don't know if I guarantee him market rate money for three or four years. I don't think I would. Yeah. I mean, I think the guess is just that he he remains a Dodger. Everything clicked there. Yeah. You know, despite their general need to trim payroll a little bit from the exorbitant levels it's been at, uh, they they can probably still afford him. But yeah, I I just think for for me, I watched so many innings end at his hand as a Met that right. it's hard for me to give him a big contract. Yeah. And maybe that's me letting my uh, my own silliness get in the way of of a good contract, but that's how it feels. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I hear you. You know, it's one of those like we know, and we've seen him play against the Mets a little bit over the you know over the course of his time with the Dodgers, but it's hard to shake that personal memory. <laughs> oh yes, it is. It all comes back to Justin Turner, folks. No matter how many years <laughs> he's gone, he's still back in our minds and in our hearts. Um, I mean, the good news is that your AOP is kind of happening, and it's an overall stronger AOP than mine is. But I will say this. I, I think that at this point, it is very possible that Sandy Alderson pulls off a better AOP than we could have ever planned. And that hasn't been the case for the Mets in a long time. Yeah. Although last year he had a very good offseason. That's not really fair to him. But, you know, it, this used to be an exercise in us dreaming if the Mets would actually do stuff. Right. And the Mets are doing stuff now. <laughs> yeah, I think some of the things, too, in real life that you could consider making it a better offseason than it has been already. And, I, I, you know, the first major two things to happen are, I think, great for this team uh, in 2017 in the case of both of those players and then well beyond in the case of Cespedes. Uh, but extensions, you know, I, I jumped up one for Reed, but, you know, extensions for, say, DeGrom or Syndergaard or, or you know, even Matt's. And, you know, I, I know it sounds insane, but Matt Harvey's had his share of dings and dents that I would certainly not bet on an extension happening there. But, I, I mean, you know, he, he's also a... Uh, uh, uh... Scott Boris client, so extensions are very rare. True, but you know, and Strasburg was a little closer to the end of his deal before he worked out his with the Nationals. Uh, you know, maybe the Mets need to see a little bit more, and maybe they wouldn't even consider it at this point. But uh, you know, knowing the talent that Matt Harvey has, and I, you know, I know, I, I know all the reasons that people might have to doubt him. Uh, but I'll, I'll include him in that mix, you know. But essentially, any of the young pitchers getting an extension, Reed getting an extension, uh, anybody on the position player side, Duda maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they've been super high on Dom Smith for a while, but you know, it's uh, Duda goes underappreciated, I would say. Conforto is nowhere near. Hey, but to be fair, Duda doesn't go underappreciated on Amazing Avenue. No, no, no. But that that's, uh, you know, it's not everybody, I guess. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so those sorts of things. You know, one thing, too, just looking at the budget of all this, based on things that have actually happened in real life, it would be hard. Even if they traded uh, Bruce and Granderson, which, for the record, I hope they do not. But even if they traded both of them, it would be hard to keep to 140. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we might be looking at a Mets team that if, they, if they've if they been willing to make the commitments that they already have and, you know, they have other guys on the roster who are set to make money, uh, you know, right now there's no guarantee. I think there's probably a 99% chance that some other team will take Jay Bruce, but there's... There's no guarantee that something works out. So they are officially on the hook for him. Uh, and that alone puts them, you know, over 140 if we assume they 
tender everybody that you would expect them to. Um, you know, that's that's a pretty legitimate payroll. And if, if that money's there, this is a long-winded way of saying, I'm encouraged that they might spend a little bit more, that, you know, maybe end up around 150, 155 to start the season. And, you know, that's uh, that's a long way from two years ago. That's a, an incredibly long way from two years ago. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that Alderson's going to trade Bruce for a nice return. And I feel like Alderson just, you know, every year there's one team he fleeces <laughs> for something or other. And uh, the last couple of years has happened in season, but maybe this year it'll happen at the winter meetings. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly the most that they've done before the winter meetings uh, in in a very long time. And even going back to the Omar years, you know, what would like was Pedro signed during the winter meetings? I feel like he was. Uh, I remember Omar flew down on Thanksgiving Day to see him okay. in the Dominican Republic. I remember that. But again, depending on when. Thanksgiving and the winter meetings fell that year. That could have been right before the winter meetings. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm just trying to remember the time of year that some of the bigger moves happened. But you know that that's going back quite a ways at this point. Um. So so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, me too. for Amazing Avenue Audio and something amazing just happened as we're recording this on a Tuesday evening and something amazing just happened in the middle of the afternoon out of nowhere the Mets signed Joanna Cespedes to a four-year contract worth 110 million dollars that is awesome amazing stupendous wonderful I can't believe it because I just wrote a an article about how the Mets were unlikely to do anything until the CBA between or collective bargaining agreement between the owners and the Players Association was agreed upon. And lo and behold, not 24 hours after I finished writing that, before we know what the luxury tax threshold was, or maybe the teams are pretty certain what it will be as the CBA gets closer to being agreed upon. Maybe that's what happened because the Mets just spent a bunch of cash on a player that is very valuable to them, who has been very valuable to them for the past two seasons and is really wonderful and does a lot of cool things. And it's Joanna Cespedes. And the Mets got it done sooner than anyone expected. This was not supposed to happen, if it did happen at all, until the winter meetings, which start December 4th, which is this Monday. But the Mets get it done the week before. It's absolutely incredible news. Now the Mets can spend the winter meetings hammering out, finalizing the rest of their team, which will once again be expected to compete for the National League pennant. There are certain the areas of need that the Mets are looking to fill, such as catcher, such as 
relief pitcher, maybe starting pitcher now that Bartolo Colon's gone and they have a bunch of other guys who are returning from injury. But already we're starting to hear rumors that Jay Bruce could be headed out the door in a trade because the Mets now have more starting caliber outfielders than they need. They have Michael Conforto, Curtis Granderson, Yuanis Cespedes, and also Jay Bruce. As we talked about a lot last year, three of those guys are left-handed. None of them are particularly good center fielder, so the Mets are going to Looks, it sounds like they're first going to try to deal Bruce, who they have reportedly gotten calls on and who they just signed to a $13 million option. So he's only a one-year commitment and he's relatively affordable. So the, the most likely team right now appears to be the Toronto Blue Jays. So if the Mets can... Get something of value for Bruce, whether it be uh, an option at catcher to battle with Rene Rivera or Travis Darno or a relief pitcher to solidify the bullpen that could be missing Jerry's Familia for a decent amount of time because of the domestic abuse allegations, then that would be pretty swell because the Mets don't really need a whole lot of Jay Bruce, especially since he's not a great defensive outfielder trading him to an American League team where they have more value, they have more things to do with the designated hitter for players who aren't good at defense, that would be a good deal for the Mets, even if even if they don't get that much back, if they free up the salary, it could allow them to spend money in, in those areas, like relief pitcher, like catcher, like a maybe a backup just a defensive outfielder who can come in if the Mets decide to go with uh, Granderson in center field or Conforto in, or Cespedes in center field. They could use a another outfielder who knows how to play defense. There are a lot of ways they can go, but for now it's awesome because the Mets have most of their really good players signed on for 2017, and we haven't even hit winter meetings yet. We still have a full calendar month before 2017, and the Mets... Uh, they they know exactly the direction they're going because Cespedes is signed to a contract and they know that they're going to make another push for the pennant and that is what makes me and all the other Mets fans happy. So that's awesome. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how these this win- these winter meetings shake out because it was supposed to be about the Mets pursuing Cespedes and now it's going to be about the Mets trying to trade an outfielder or trying to acquire a relief pitcher or something like that. So this is an awesome time to be a Mets fan and it's pretty late at night so I'm going to leave you guys with that. This has been Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio and the hot stove just got lit. Back, Greg Karam and Steve Seiper here once again to talk Mets minor leagues with you. So, Steve, we are rolling out our top 25. You started uh, the rolling out today, Tuesday, as we record. And uh, I, I guess it's safe to say that the how, how much do you think will be out by the time we are talking about this? <laughs> Will we, will we be to the top 10 at that point? 
Um, hopefully. Yeah, I think we should be. Okay. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about 25 through 11 today uh, to just uh, kind of go down the list and just talk about our quick thoughts on these guys. Um, and so I guess we can start at the back end uh, and talk about a guy we'll, we'll, we'll briefly. You know, Cameron Plank is the 25th uh, prospect. And basically, he's a guy, you know, big, uh, big righty, big fastball, maybe. And just to kind of like, as I said in the post, it's just like it's a blank canvas and it's a, you know, a, a good reading on a radar gun. You agree? Uh, yes, he was actually probably my favorite pick in the draft outside of like, you know, the first couple of guys with the highest upside. Um he has you know a good fastball uh his secondary stuff is not very well developed but i mean most that's that's most high school pitchers and i just i like his delivery a lot i think it adds a lot of deception to his delivery and obviously that'll help him so long as he's able to um repeat his mechanics which have kind of been a problem but again what high school pitcher doesn't have similar problems like that right so we'll see where he pops up. He'll probably end up pitching in Kingsport this year, I would imagine. And, well, hopefully. Uh, if he's in Kingsport, that means things are going, I guess, the way they plan. So I don't have much to add to that. Uh, the 24th prospect is Ricardo Cespedes, who we spoke about last week. He's um, an athletic center fielder who maybe can hit a little. And he's a bit, uh, he's on the young side, so don't need to go into too much detail there um but the 23rd prospect is harold gonzalez and uh, i think that's safe to say that we both kind of like harold gonzalez is that is that fair assessment yeah anyone that doesn't like harold gonzalez has something wrong with them to be honest they really do i mean jeff wrote about him at a baseball prospectus a while back and it's just like he's got this mini pedro thing going on i I guess he probably had to have grown up idolizing him uh, I mean, the stuff isn't Pedro, but the delivery is like Pedro. The hair is, you know, it's got the bit of a overflowing hair like uh, Pedro did at varying points in his career. So, yeah, he's got, he's, look, I, I keep saying the same thing about him over and over again, but, you know, he's got, he's going to have to sit in the low 90s in order for it to work. But it's, he's got a bunch of different pitches. He's got a nice curveball, uh, good changeup. You know, it's just, there's a lot to like there. And um, I imagine he'll be pitching in Columbia next year. He should, yeah. I mean, he's a guy. I'm rooting for him, but I really don't see it working out for him in the end. There's just too much working against him. That's fair. I mean, it's hard to project how much velocity a guy's going to hang on to or gain. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, his he he's... He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to put on maybe 10, those real important 10, 15, 20 pounds of muscle and give his fastball a little bit more zip. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, he just kind of looks like what he is and that's that. Yeah, well, I, I you know, I also, I stood next to him at one point at a Brooklyn game and he is, he's taller than I am and so he's probably like a legit six foot. So I feel, I feel good about that. Uh, he's not, he's not, um, you know, they're not lying about his height. So, uh, it's, it's possible. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Yeah. I mean, if he, if, 
if he's going to succeed, he's going to need that. Yeah, and look, they, 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 there are examples of guys putting on weight, like number 22 on the list, Jeff McNeil. Who, uh, <laughs> Excellent segue. That, that was really good. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he, he, he was – everyone was very excited about him putting on weight last year because he was just a rail-thin guy who was kind of like a slappy hitter. And Kel comes, comes into the last year, he's jacked. He's not jacked, but he's thick. And he was strong. You could tell that he had put in the time and the work. And then I guess he put in too much time and too much work because he had like a double hernia or something and missed most of the year, which was really disappointing because he came out and had like five games of awesomeness (laughs) and then went away. So I really like Jeff McNeil. I know you're not as big a fan. Why are you not as big a fan? Um, I I like McNeil. It's just kind of kind of having to come back from an injury combined with the kind of middle and lower edges of the system getting better that he gets lost in the shuffle for me. Um, I mean, he could very easily pop up back next year uh, for me in this range, even higher, depending on how he performs. But yeah, he's a guy for me who could make a big jump and maybe put himself on the fringes of the top 10 next year if he's able to come back and stay healthy and hit like the way I expect him to. He's got a nice swing. I really like it. And he can play he can play multiple infield positions. It's just it's a lot to like there. Mm-hmm. Just have to see if he comes back healthy. Number 21, Chris Flexen. We've talked about him. Added to the 40-man. Has a fastball. Has a curveball. And basically we're going to we're going to learn more about him next year when he's in Binghamton and we get to see him more. Uh, but I am encouraged by the fact that they added him to the 40-man. It means that they view him favorably internally. And number 20, Andrew Church. So that's an interesting uh, just like one-two right there. So what do, you, what do you think about having Andrew Church ahead of Chris Flexen? I really don't agree with it very much. I mean, I guess it's based still on projection of what Church could be as opposed to Flexen, what he kind of is right now. Yeah. And also the fact that <clears throat> Church kind of burst back on the scene this year with a pretty good year and Flexen is just kind of kind of, you know, held his own, didn't really have that great of a season, wasn't terrible either. It's a little biased there perhaps. Yeah. I kind of look at that right now and I'm just like yeah, that doesn't make a ton of sense. But, and I don't have my own list in front of me, so I don't really know what I, how much I contributed <laughs> to that. But um, I probably did. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I, I think that you would probably have to like Chris Flexen's um, potential a little bit more right there, uh, just given that he's been he's more advanced. The fact that he added to, to the forty man that's that's a positive indicator. So. Anyway, that's your 20 and 21. Uh, 19 is Mirandy Gonzalez. And I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, he's more of a blank canvas as well, but he has a big fastball, and he's got a lot of potential. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, coming into, the, like, you know, uh, when I sat down and started thinking up the list, I didn't really think that Mirandy would be as high as I ranked him and as high as the kind of collective ranked him. But then you sit down and look at him, and you know he's he's got pretty good stuff. Mid, you know, low to mid nineties fastball, tops out, you know, ninety six, ninety seven. Um, 
uh, curveball flashes plus. He could control it pretty good. A curve, uh, a changeable that he's kind of changeable. What the hell am I saying? That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's like old time 1910 baseball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a change up that he's still you know kind of developing. So I mean, this is a good starting point, and he's still pretty young. So there's 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 a lot of time to improve all that. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean. There's a lot of potential there, so... And at this point, I mean, it's very fluid and interchangeable at this point. You know, I mean... Once you get out of the, you know, out of the top ten a little bit, or even out of the top five or six, it's kind of a more bunched and clustered uh, group of prospects in terms of just, you know, the projection on a lot of these guys. So the difference between 21 and 18, I mean, it's really not that big a deal, so I'm not going to go crazy over... You know, you know, k- kicking ourselves for having you know flexing over Church or Miranda Gonzalez behind Ricky Knapp, who's number eighteen. And am I crazy about Ricky Knapp? I love Ricky Knapp. Am I? Am I? Am I going to look like an idiot? What do you think? Um, I don't think you're an idiot. I think uh, you're a little more enthusiastic than I am, perhaps. But there's definitely something there. Yeah, I just I really enjoy his command of the secondaries for the most part and they're just you know he's got three very distinct secondary pitches that he can throw around the zone he's got I, I think he's got some room for uh, some velocity to add to gain in that uh, on his fastball I just think there's some slack in that delivery so I'm just very bullish there and um I guess I'm either going to look like an idiot or I'm going to look good in uh, a year, but we'll see. <laughs> and uh, so after that, we have 17, Phil Evans, 16, Peter Alonzo. Um, we've talked about Peter Alonzo before. Gonna, you know, He's got some swing issues, but he's got a lot of power, so we'll see how he comes out of spring training, see what kind of swing he's looking at, uh, he's working with. Phil Evans, I know you're not a fan of, uh, so tell me why you're not a fan of Phil Evans. Uh, it just really it's going to take more than one year to make me think that he's turned the corner i mean 2015 2014 he was really bad 2013 perhaps i don't even i don't have the numbers in front of me but i mean he's he's had some really bad seasons um but he's he like, a, he's a baddie champion right didn't he win the eastern league batting chat title he is yes he did by let's see i don't even know tenths hundredths thousandths it was tight Ten hundred by hundred thousandths of a point. I don't even know. Jeez, I know it but, was tight. Yeah, it was. It was close there. So you're not sold. No, I mean I know he ma- he made some changes to kind of his approach at the plate. Um, he's spraying the ball a little bit more, and to his very, pull very side, aggressive. he's very aggressive. Yeah, and his pull side, he's had a little bit more power. But I mean. Uh, Definitely, some of the positive changes are the reason for a 384 BAPIP, but then there's also how much of that is luck, and I'm more pessimistic that there's more luck than actual um, changes that are going to be able to carry on next season. So, Fair enough. Um, it'll be interesting. He's going to start probably in, in Vegas, so... But he definitely could not have picked the worst time to have like a breakout season. I mean, the upper echelons of the system are pretty crowded with utility type middle infielders. So, yeah, he's. Um, 
I guess Cicchini's kind of blocking his path to the majors at this point if Cicchini's going to be a second baseman, but uh, you have TJ Rivera too, so it's a logjam of fairly mediocre backup talent. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, we have Marcos Molina, who we've talked a lot about, and um, there's a lot to be excited about there if he's healthy, which at least seems to be. And followed by Gabriel Yanoa at number 14. I'm, I'm not terribly high on, on Yanoa at, at this point. Uh, it's just I don't I don't see the slider working in the majors. I know he's got some fastball velocity and his changeups okay, but I just don't see it really working um, as a starter in the majors. Do you? No, I mean he, I know he's in this really small sample size that he was in the majors last season. He struck out like over a batter per inning or whatever it was, but I think that's more just kind of small sample so, so the small sample size noise than yeah, anything else. I agree. And there's a lot I of games mean, out of the bullpen, and I, I still don't even see him doing well out of the bullpen either. It's just the fastball is just too hittable. But yeah, that's that's the problem. I mean, maybe you know, uh, uh, Dan Warthin helped Gisellman a lot. You know, tighten up that slider, and the better slider helped his other secondary stuff. So maybe Warthin can have an impact on you know well like that. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't really see a very successful MLB career either. Yeah, me neither. Um, so beyond that, number 12, Louis Carpio. No, number 13, Andres Jimenez. 12, Carpio. 11, Ali Sanchez. I actually, I mean, I like Jimenez the most out of all these guys just because of the reports that we've gotten on him. The fact that he sounds like he's going to be staying at shortstop. Uh, it just makes him a much more attractive prospect for me. Uh, which one of those three guys are you most high on? Uh, for me, it's Ali Sanchez. Still. Yep. I mean, Ali Sanchez. Ali freaking Sanchez. Like, I I just, I got to see this guy play so that That's, I, I, can... I, I think that might be the difference. I saw him like two or three times maybe last season. And I saw him make a lot of outs, but a lot of those outs were really hard outs. Um, well, you know, when, hit... you, when you do watch somebody play... You, there is a different type of out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, like a guy who fouls off the balls or a guy who swings through three straight fastballs, you know, it's like it, there's definitely a different shape to each at bat that, you know, does inform your opinion. Yeah, so I mean, his, there's always kind of been some questions about his bat, um, but I, I'm a little more optimistic having seen him. Um, I don't know if it ever his bat actually ever will play up, obviously, but... There's, there's, he always, he's always going to have that uh, defense to fall back on if it doesn't. I, I, yeah, catching prospects who can hit, definitely, uh, you know, somebody to be excited about. So, all right, so that's 25 through 11. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back next week to talk a little bit more about the top 10. Um, might have Lucas on to talk about it too. We'll see. And um, if you have any questions or feedback or just want to let us know that you are listening out there, uh, please send us an email. Uh, I think it's podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com, and we would love to hear from you. So that's it for this week, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week.
folks, that does it for this installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it, as always. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com, where you can find all your off-season Mets news analysis, um, fun contests like the AOP. It's my last time mentioning it, I promise. Last time mentioning the AOP. And lots, lots more. You can also find the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. You can email the show, podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. We encourage you to do all three of those things. Uh, finally, you can contact your show contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. Chris is at Chris McShane. Greg is at Greg Karam. Steve is at Steve Saipa. And Aaron is at APY5000. So next week at the winter meetings, we will be uh, – stay tuned if a big – deal happens maybe we'll do another emergency podcast maybe we'll uh just save it all for friday show but regardless let's go Mets.